Welcome to Janet Today, Janet Tomorrow, Janet Forever, the Janet Jackson podcast where two cousins discuss all things Janet Jackson. Today, we are going to talk about Janet Jackson's controls, celebrating the 35th anniversary of Janet Jackson's landmark album. My name is Courtney, and I'm here with my cousin. Cousin Cam, and my oh my, control is 35. 35 looks good on control, I'm telling you. It does, it does. Now, we've talked about (laughs) several singles. So if you hear our podcast from the past, you know, we've talked about the Pleasure Principle more than once. Uh, Mm -hmm. We had the great pleasure of talking with Barry Lather about the Pleasure Principle. We've done... What have you done for me lately? lately? Yep. Control itself. Control itself. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm excited to talk about this album today. We are recording. Today is Friday, February 5th, 2021. Two days before Super Bowl Sunday. Which has turned into Janet Jackson Appreciation Day. Recognized as Janet Jackson Appreciation Day by those in the know. Um, (laughs) I love that this has carried on. I think what is now four years. Mm-hmm. And um, I just love it. Like, for one, I love that, like, Janet Jackson fans would just grab onto something and never let it go. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that for us. Um, and also, I just love, like, I hope that she looks forward to it, like, you know, the day before the Super Bowl. Whereas in the past, she may have been answering or dodging questions about her Super Bowl appearances and will she appear? Won't she appear? All of this. Like, we do this every year, it seems yep. like. Mm-hmm. And now I hope that we've kind of flipped that and made it kind of a positive, happy experience for her as we just celebrate the legacy of Janet Jackson and, and, and all she's given us. You got your yeah. you got your memes in your picks ready? I'm trying, but you know, it's also as as much as I love sticking it to the NFL, it's also where I put in all my prop bets for the Super Bowl. So <laughs> <laughs> you're the worst. <laughs> hey, I'm. In the words of Jay Z, I'm a hustler, homie. <laughs> oh, he's the worst too. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and, and, and this happens every year. I watch it and tell you what happened with the halftime show, and you go, "Eh, nah, I didn't what miss did I nothing." I forgot about it. Like I just didn't even <laughs> think about it. I was watching Poetic Justice. <laughs> I want to, every time you mention that movie, I want to go, why? <laughs> Me too. Why? I don't know why. <laughs> but go ahead and grab your movie. I'll watch Why Did I Get Married 1 and 2. <laughs> now that's, that's, that's all you play. <laughs> hey, I, I ain't gonna lie. I could, I could watch some uh, Tyler Perry movies, so I'm good. <laughs> I, I represent on that side. But yeah, it's it's just you know the NFL is it's their biggest day, and we turn it into Janet's biggest day. It's like it's your anniversary, girl. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, not only are the fans happy about Janet Appreciation Day, but man, Rock Hall, MTV, Amazon Music—they all are showing love to this classic uh, Control album. Um, even, you know, just recognizing the anniversary, which I must say is well overdue. So Absolutely. shout out to them for recognizing the queen. Yes. I'm not going to go there with the rock call right now because we in a festive mood. <laughs> but I did appreciate um, just seeing the recognition. And I don't know what that means, though, because it seemed like every outlet, like, Every outlet was talking about Janet Control 35. And even Janet tweeted um, in recognition of the album, which is something that she rarely does. So it feels kind of like a coordinated campaign almost. So I, I'm wondering if there was some work done on her end, you know, PR publicity to kind of push that forward. Or was this organic? Either way, I don't care because I would appreciate it if they put some effort into celebrating um, for her milestones. But also it be equally as fun if it just sprang up and um some of these outlets um like you know everybody i'm telling you like spotify music and pandora music i saw man i saw tweets from everybody from billboard music just um showing love to control in 35 and to janet jackson um, most especially and you know i'm one who's like i don't usually care about an album's birthday uh but <laughs> i do get excited when it's janet and when people are excited just again we will find any reason to celebrate her so i appreciate that speaking of control can you name all nine tracks on Uh, the control album let's give it a go okay 
All right, you got to keep me honest. So obviously control, mm-hmm. nasty. Mm-hmm. What have you done for me lately? Uh-huh, uh-huh. When I think of you. So in love, huh? You can be mine. Uh-huh. Let's wait a while. Uh-huh. He doesn't even know I'm alive. Oh! I feel like I'm missing so Funny how time flies. Uh-huh. Oh. You, Wait, you, I, I didn't say my favorite. Favorite. I'm just going to say, you say your favorite. <laughs> you know, pleasure principle is <laughs> my best. And I'm so sorry to the principle of pleasure that I did not remember. <laughs> I thought that was going to be your first one. <laughs> I should have led with that one because that would have really kept me straight. But, you know, I was trying to I was trying to remember them in order. And see, pleasure principle is the first song on the B side, I think. I should have known that. I should have known that. Okay. <laughs> I don't even want to know. Now I ain't going to ask you what side of the album that you got them. <laughs> I can usually name seven with no hesitation. So let's talk about control. John McCain, he was the A&R executive of A&M Records. He decided to team Janet with the wonderful producers, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Also, want to give a shout out to Jelly Bean because he deserves a little prop too. It's true, yes. But they were the core of coming up with Control. Some people think Control is like her first album, but it's actually her third studio album. Third time was definitely the charm in this case. Yeah, the story of how Control became Control is super fascinating to me. So we know that Control was released in February 4th, 1986 um, on a Records. And by April 19th, 1986, it had peaked at number one on the Billboard 100. Mm-hmm. And we know we're going to talk about all the records that it set, but I think that there's a couple things we have to like highlight right off the beginning. So Cam, you said like, this is the first meeting of Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis and Janet Jackson. And really, you know, it was John McClain who put them together. It's weird talking about John McClain because if you are a Michael Jackson fan, I think you have a very different relationship with that name. Um, <laughs> as he is one of the partners that currently managing the estate. <laughs> I was hoping we didn't. I thought we would just go roll through that. I can't just ignore it. I can't just ignore it. Um, (laughs) I think we have to just like, you know, call it out. Call the spade. There's a complicated history with John McClain and the Jackson family. um, But we do have to give credit where credit is due. Mm -hmm. And in 1986, there was a lot of credit due. Basically, John McClain had just gotten to A&M, I think in 1984. And Mm -hmm. Janet Jackson was really a, a And I think because of the relationship with the family, he was really instrumental in like, I'm going to say salvaging her career because at this point, A&M was really just running out the clock because Mm -hmm. the first two albums had not done exceedingly well. And they just really, they didn't think they had anything, which is hilarious to me. Yeah. It's Janet Jackson, like figure it out. (laughs) And I'm saying that even not knowing what Janet Jackson would become, just knowing Penny and girl on fame and all those things like Mm -hmm. that's who that was like you already had recognition family name recognition but her individual recognition from all of her tv projects like figure it out (laughs) but john mcclain came on and basically had decided like okay this is the third album we're going to do something special and so i think we talked about this during the control pod but jimmy Mm -hmm. jam and terry lewis essentially picked janet jackson um they had been brought there uh to a&m to work with another artist. So they had done some work with the Silvers, which is their connection, I think, to John McClain. But they mm-hmm. had been brought there to work with another female artist. And basically, she had turned down every song that they had <laughs> offered. And so uh, when that mm-hmm. happened, uh, I think they were kind of just given a pick of the A&M roster, like, okay. And they chose Janet Jackson. Right. And I think it's it's interesting that Jimmy Jam in an interview with the Red Bull Music Academy, he says, like, nobody was checking for Janet at this point. Like, like, I I know it's hard to believe, but they had pretty much was like, she's, we don't know what to do with her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But they felt like she had a great voice and they felt like they could take her talent and make something happen. And what I love about Jimmy and Terry is they actually took their time to get to know Janet, hear her out, to find out what her vision was, what she wanted with this next project. And I really, truly feel, although I don't have no proof, 
I do feel like this was the first time that someone came to Janet and said, hey, what do you want to do? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's what she was looking for because, mm-hmm. um, you know, she herself talks a little bit about She's talked about, you know, I wanted to do it differently than being handed a piece of paper and told here, mm-hmm. sing this, uh, which is mm-hmm. what had been done in the past. And, you know, mm-hmm. she said she wanted to express herself. And Jimmy and Terry really were the first to help her do that. Mm-hmm. And it shows. It absolutely it really shows. Is. It shows. And I think, too, you know, when we talk about control and we talk about really the trajectory of Janet Jackson's career, one, it would not it doesn't happen without control. Like it just doesn't happen Mm -hmm. if they keep plodding along the way that those first two albums have been produced um Mm -hmm. and let's not i don't want to trip because it's still some bops on those first two albums (laughs) like there's songs on there that i really just go up for let me say this barely (laughs) (laughs) barely bop there's listen i'm gonna say this the renee and angela songs are bops and A singular Merlin song is about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but I will say if she doesn't do control, then mm-hmm. the career doesn't happen. Number one, I think A&M drops her. Number, that's yeah. point blank. But number two, I think what they found with kind of treating each of these albums as like the diary of her last two years that formula was cemented then. Mm -hmm. And that's the formula that carried them. And Mm -hmm. if we are honest, the albums for Janet Jackson that have gotten off the rails, that have produced only two or three, maybe four bop, Mm -hmm. are those albums where she departed from that construct of, this is my heart, this is my diary, this is my life. Right. Right. And that was created then, controlled it that. Right. And let me just say that, that's, to me, started a trend with other artists working with producers to where they were like, you know what? I want to talk about what's going on in my life. Mm -hmm. And you can't tell me other artists didn't look at this and go, look, Jimmy and Terry did this for Janet. You know, can we use that same formula? And now you get people who do like, for instance, Usher's Confession. He, him and Jermaine had a talk and they brought, they just used their experiences and bam, you had this mega I mean, make a CD called Confessions. Mm -hmm. So it, to me, laid a blueprint to how a lot of people were incorporating what was going on in their lives and putting it on music. Yeah. To me. No, I think you're right. I hadn't really considered it beyond her. um, Mm -hmm. But definitely it it began the difference between like people just singing songs like, you know, the Motown way where you got a group of writers and they write a Mm -hmm. bunch of songs and then they test them on different artists and the best, you know, best one gets it. Mm hmm. Yep. And this yeah. this wasn't that. This was, you know, we're going to handcraft these songs with you. And we know like early on during the control days, there it wasn't as much as like they were sitting down with a yellow notepad together. It was more like ideation. But the, even that transpired. And I think if control didn't happen the way it happened, I don't think we would have gotten songwriter Janet. Now, that's not to say she didn't write songs before because we know she had credits on Latoya Jackson's albums. And so she was already writing. But I think Mm -hmm. it was the meeting with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis that kind of freed that other part of her as well. Yeah. And one more thing I want to add, too, is I think that contributed to this album with Jimmy and Terry was they took her out of sunny California. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And brought her to a place, <laughs> brought her to cold Minnesota. Well, was it cold though? I thought they filmed, I thought they recorded in the summer. <laughs> I'm gonna say it's cold because I know every time I see this city, cold in Minnesota. It's, it's always cold. <laughs> I mean, it's, hey, I'm saying, I'm just saying, but I do think they took her out of her element, <laughs> away from everybody. Pack your bags, come here, let's talk, let's get to know each other. And I think that gave her the freedom of, Hey, I can be myself. I can write my feelings down and I can just be me. And I think that also is a little bit of a secret formula, too, for control. Absolutely. I think you're spot on. Um, The location change was instrumental in the production of this album. And I I like that Jimmy, when he talks about it, and I think it might have been that same interview. It might have been Red Bull. Um, he, He talks about. The, the very first time that they were wanting to record, I guess Janet wanted to stay in L.A. and like use the studio she was familiar with and, you know, sleep in her own bed. 
And basically they were like, no. Um, and, and Jimmy's words were, it had to be on our turf with no bodyguards. He said no star trips and none of the Joe Jackson's people <laughs> hanging around making suggestions, <laughs> which I get it. Right. Um, and I also love Janet's retort. Um, I think it was in Rolling Stone magazine where, where she's, she's, you know, they're discussing this and she says like, they told me they didn't want me to have somebody doing everything for me. And I told them that wasn't how I lived anyhow. <laughs> so <she's> like, <laughs> like, excuse you. <laughs> but you know, I think, you know, man, come on now. She would have recorded this in her, in her own little com- combine in California. I think, I think, I don't think we would have got the same control. I could see see people bobbing their head into my, I don't think that's how we're supposed to Mm -hmm. do it. Yeah. So sometimes you got to, let me come to my, come to my place. Let me, let me, let me come to my kitchen. Let me show you what my formula is. Yeah. And I think it was really important too, because not only was she out of her element, but it wasn't, um, you know, this was literally like she had just fired her dad as her manager. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so John McClain was her new manager. She ha- had basically parted ways with her brothers because, you know, they did a ex- pretty extensive amount of writing on the previous album. Um, mm-hmm. And so this was, I think it would have been awkward to say the mm-hmm. least mm-hmm. to have all of those abrupt changes in your musical career and still try to have that musical career in the house where everybody, all these other people are <laughs> in the mm-hmm. house. And, um, so just for that reason, I think that this was probably a very wise move for them to insist that she come. But also, too, she got to have experiences that contributed to the album. So we know Nasty is one of those songs that was born of her experiences mm-hmm. being out in Minneapolis. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that just that experience of being on her own and like really having that the space and 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 out of your routine, because, you know, sometimes like you just need to be out of the things you are everyday responsible for to mm-hmm. really have a time to be introspective um, and reflect mm-hmm. on like your experiences. Sometimes it's just like, go, 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 go. And you don't even mm-hmm. realize like what I've been through, what I survived, what I achieved because you mm-hmm. didn't take a break to think about it. And so I think just having those conversations away from all of that, having those conversations with um, Jimmy and Terry. And then also she was accompanied by her best friend. So how fun is that? Yeah. Girls trips. There's so many good things about this album that to me are so important in launching the career of Janet Jackson. And I know people say like, it feels like this is her first album. And again, I feel like this one doesn't happen without those other two. Mm -hmm. And I feel like those other two, they were obligations. Mm -hmm. I think the success of Control is what cemented for her that like, I kind of like this. I could be a pop star. Mm -hmm. I think if Control didn't pop, Janet was done. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know now. Now, one thing about the Jackson family now, they don't let nothing stop them if they feel like they can put out good music they're gonna keep putting out music i agree with you on that point but i don't think that's what she wanted i don't think she wanted it until she had a taste of success and was like oh this is fun so okay prior to that i think in her mind and i think she's even said it that if it didn't work she was just gonna go back to she was gonna go to school she was gonna study business law what if she would have became like an entertainment lawyer and would have saved michael a lot of money probably <laughs> <laughs> like I know a couple of times Mike was like, I wish you would have took your butt to law school, you know, <laughs> trying, trying to, you know, trying to one up me, you know, you should have took it to law school, but that's all right. <laughs> yes. uh, she was a lawyer. I'm, I'm convinced. Um, but I think that if this didn't pop, this was done. But I also think that's the determination of her to make this pop because number one, she left her, her comfort zone. She, you know, trusted Jimmy and Terry with her emotional and in her with her stories, mm-hmm. and then they technically recorded this in six weeks. But two of them was them just getting to know each other. So really, four weeks, and they brought out nine tracks, mm-hmm. and they were blazing tracks. Mm-hmm. So I think that also makes you go imagine if on those other projects, if someone would have heard her voice. Mm-hmm. then we would be saying the other projects were for bops too. Yeah, I agree. And let's talk about that for a second because that's another one of my things where like if this doesn't happen, we don't get 
control. So we talked a little bit about John McClane and him kind of creating this magical trio in the production sphere. But also at A&M at that time was uh, the director of Black Music Promotion, which is, yes, that was an actual title. Mm -hmm. His name was uh, Jesus Garber. And I think some people might know that name because Janet, he was actually a special guest of Janet Jackson at the Rock Hall of Fame. And that tells me that she really recognized him as kind of a person who helped to really launch her and propel her career. And there's so much about him that I, I kind of dig as far as like how he worked and making sure that Control had a fighting chance. But I just say a couple things. One of them is, you know, if you think about it, those previous albums, uh, Janet Jackson and <laughs> and Dream Street, they only sold about 200,000 copies each. To put that in perspective, Control sold 250,000 copies in its first week. Um, right. But, and I'm sure they've sold more in that time, but at the time that Control was launched, and the reason why that's important is because the record company, A&M, didn't really have an incentive to do any heavy promotion because again, the first two albums just hadn't done well. And to me, part of that was them. Part of it was the song selection, but there were some songs out there that could have been massive hits. And, and I don't know that the dollars were put into her career at that point. And, mm-hmm. and, and that brings me to Jesus because Jesus had um, basically championed, he had lobbied for Janet Jackson. And so what, what he was saying is that, you know, 200,000 units isn't usually cause for a record label to sink a lot of money in promotion for the next album. Mm-hmm. And what happened was he had come to the studio and John McClain had played like just a rough, it was unmastered, but he had played all the tracks for him. And like, he's at the studio, it's like eight or so at night. And he's like, they listen to him and listen to him. And he's like, next thing you know, it's like one. And so they're like, let's get out of here. We got to go home. And he's like, then he's in the car at one thirty, and he's still listening to it. He's listening to it. And then somehow at four or four thirty, one of them calls the other John calls Jesus or Jesus calls John. And they're like still amped about this like rough uh, <laughs> track. They're like mm-hmm. super excited about what they're hearing. And at 8 a.m., they're already talking to like strategy, like how we're going to market this. But the big thing was how how do we get A&M to do any promotion when, you know, the first two have not done so well. And so mm-hmm. he really like, you know, stood on the tables and yelled. I, I don't know. He, he doesn't seem like a stand on the table yell kind of guy. But he just said, listen, trust me, I've heard the material he was convincing them that she could do promotion. They weren't sure. They they didn't know if like, okay, if we send her out there. Is, is she going to talk to people? She seems pretty shy. Like what's going to happen? Promote this album. Like, you know, for the other albums, I think basically she had gone to some schools and sang in some gymnasiums because she was a part of like this stay in school thing. That was a part of her promotion and she was going to school. But they were like, okay, so we, you, you're saying you want to send her to radio stations in urban cities and we're just going to see how it goes. And he's like, no, trust me, she can do this. I know she can. I know the material is hot. All we got to do is get her out there. And so he got them to commit to a one-year promotional deal where they were, she did a 13-city promotional tour. And it was mostly like radio stations and some clubs and, and, and things like that. Shopping malls, you sign autographs and those types of things. And he's so funny because he said, like, you know, they were so worried, like, she wouldn't talk to anybody. And he's like, when she steps into a building, like, there are fans, he's like, she's a politician. Like, the lights come on and she's shaking hands and kissing babies. <laughs> Showtime. <laughs> and he's like, you know, he's relieved because he's like, man, I had told him she could do it. <laughs> so, so, like, if he doesn't do that, and what's funny is, like, he had basically said, I want her this young black woman to have the same effort and promotion as we're doing for Brian Adams. And I barely remember Brian Adams. I only remember one, one Brian Adams song. And it wasn't from 1986. Yeah, I, only, I feel like it was like from 93 and 95. But if you look at the charts at that time, Brian Adams, even though he didn't have a lot of number ones, he had enough hits-ish to kind of just uh-huh. stay super relevant. And he mm-hmm. was moving units. And I remember, I think he, he had moved from an album, he had moved something like 2 million of the, the album that they had done that year-long promotion. And uh, Jesus is like, 
Janet can sell three million. This is not even. He's like three to five million is. I'm telling you, like he was really, he was, he was, <laughs> he, was selling he, it. he was selling it. <laughs> he was selling shit. He was selling sugar to the cake. <laughs> right, sugar to the cane. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm already sweet. No, but this right here is sweeter. <laughs> He was working it, okay? And so that's but, kind of one of those turning points where I'm like, if this doesn't happen, we don't get Janet Jackson. And so I, I think that, you know, when we think about Control and it's a, just a darn good album, um, but there's so many things that had to go so right. Like you needed Jimmy, Terry, Jelly Bean, <laughs> John, and a Jesus. Jesus, is that how you say his name? <laughs> yeah. So you need a you need a salesperson, two good Two good producers, a good musician, and, and an agent that believes in you. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and another interesting twist, as if the story couldn't even get any <laughs> any crazier. Um, T- Jimmy and Terry engineer quit on them <laughs> before recording began, so yes. they actually had to engineer the sound themselves. But that's another thing: the fact that he quit allowed Jimmy and Terry not allowed because they didn't know any better but basically recorded everything too loud (laughs) so (laughs) everything was distorted but it really gave that album that edge that like that feeling of like this is almost off the rails (laughs) and it wasn't intentional they they were doing the best they could and I'm glad they did the best they could because it's banging I mean, sometimes you just have to learn stuff on the fly, and that's what they had to do. Some of the tracks that you know Janet recorded for Control were rejected by the ex Atlanta Star um, lead singer Sharon. <laughs> she was like, "She don't want these, <laughs> so you can't let them go to waste." And and this album kind of, I think, shook the industry, and everybody was running out looking for their next Janet Jackson, and they still looking. Um, yeah. But but I think she opened the door and we got a wave of black women artists who would not have been given the chance if it were not for the success of control. Right. Right. And one person comes to mind, Paula Abdul. Well, absolutely. <laughs> and then I remember Karen White. Karen a lot White. Of people don't know, came through here. Pebbles came in right mm-hmm. after that. And it was like everybody was producing their version of a black female pop star. And some were good, some didn't last as long as Janet, and some faltered to the end. But you're right on that point. I mean, I totally agree that every record labels were now trying to find them the next Janet. Yeah. And I think another important thing, you know, Jesus is my man. Another important <laughs> thing that Jesus did, which really opened it up for a lot of um, Black women artists, they had a plan. And it sounds crazy, like their plan was to go to the black radio stations, do their promotions, get enough buzz that they can start kind of insisting, demanding that these pop stations, I'm using pop in quotations because for whatever reason back then and currently pop means white. Um, mm-hmm. But their idea was we're going to start on the black stations, but we're going to build such a buzz that we're going to cross over to the pop stations with the idea of not only are we going to cross over to the pop stations, but that buzz is going to carry over into TV and we're going to have her video like Janet's image will be everywhere. That was their goal. Like her image will be everywhere. And they had a whole plan of how they were going to get onto video stations and get onto MTV. And if you think about it, Janet was the first black woman that you can recall. Maybe you can recall another that you would consistently see on MTV. And it was because they had a literal strategy. Like we, they wrote it down that this is what they were going to do. And mm-hmm. a lot of MTV at the time, I, there was a quote, and I can't remember the name of the guy, but let me tell you, if you read too many quotes from like the 80s, probably to like 95 from MTV, my mm-hmm. Lord, oh, everything yeah. they said was kind of crazy racist. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like every executive just was like, partially crazy racist um mm-hmm. but this guy basically said like we ain't really wasn't looking for no black ladies but it was <laughs> she was making such a buzz and she did he was like and she did have the jackson name so 
we just kind of like pushed it in there on like the fringe hours. And then it just was people were requesting it and just demanding. And that's how she got kind of to be in such heavy rotation. But they were like, we only tried it because it just had such a buzz and she had the Jackson name. So like 2 a.m. Here you go. <laughs> um and then he kept saying, like, it's because our audience was really expecting rock. And so there just really wasn't a space for um, that type of music. And I was like, oh, OK, I hear you. Um, yeah, but right. <laughs> yeah, OK, I'm a, we, yeah, we going to this is this is for the Janet Appreciation Day. We're going to keep right, right, it right. like. <laughs> Fortunately for him, I can't remember his name right now, but I remember that nonsensical statement. And that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing at this point. <laughs> but I do love, like, I do love this quote from Jimmy Jam where he was mentioning that they wanted to be, they wanted to do an album that would be in every Black, every Black home in America. And they were actually pushing for, the, like, one of the best Black albums of all time. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad that she was on MTV. But I just remember seeing her on Soul Train performing what have you done for me lately mm-hmm. and I was like that's when I really was like oh that's that lady that sings that song that I see on BET all the time and that's really when I was like okay I was start really like putting it together that Janet was 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 a star you mm-hmm. know and I think that's why I love that fact that they really went to the black stations and was like hey this is our superstar. This is going to be your superstar. This, this, and it worked because she did cross over and she's been untouchable since. The level of pop stardom that Janet achieved because of kind of the springboard of control was unheard of at the time because this is pre cell phone, pre internet, pre mm-hmm. pre all the things, the luxuries that people have now, pre streaming, mm-hmm. all the luxuries that people have now. Like in one week, two hundred fifty thousand people left their homes <laughs> to mm-hmm. buy her album. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's true, and I mean, cassettes hadn't even really taken off at this time, so you had to go physically. This was cassette time. This was album cassette time. I feel like Walkman's, Walkman's was like 83, 84. 83. So it might have been on cassettes. But yeah, you had to physically go to a store. Or you had to try to record it off of your radio and hope that the DJ didn't talk through half of it. I song. would be expert. <laughs> I could get you a whole album. And you could basically get Janet's whole album because it was seven singles. <laughs> Let's talk about it, the songs a little bit. So okay, obviously there was seven songs from this album that were released as singles in mm-hmm. 1986, spanning all the way into 1987. And again, that was part of the strategy. We're going to do a full year of promotion on this album. Um, what's your favorite song on the album? <laughs> Let's wait a while. It really made me appreciate the powerfulness of a ballad. Mm. I love the message. I think Janet at this time, although I was only uh, six or maybe seven when the song came out, it was really letting me know I ain't got to rush. I think it was a beautiful way of saying self-worth, self-love. But I just love her voice, the melodies. Just It was just pure soul. As much as I love Control, Nasty, uh, what have you done for me lately? I still go back to this right here. Let's wait a while. That's fair. That's fair. Um, we already know my song. So I don't think I need to go into it. Uh, <laughs> Principle is maybe the greatest song in existence. <laughs> and I love it so much with my whole heart. Don't ask me any words because I don't know them. But it's still the greatest song. <laughs> I know. <laughs> in the world. Um, yeah. So I love that song. But, you know, I do have a strong appreciation for Let's Wait a While. Um, mm-hmm. For a host of reasons, many of the ones you, you named, but what I like about Let's Wait a While is that it is on the same album as Funny How Time Flies. <laughs> Which and is so a gem. She was already telling us, like, it, you don't have to be this or that, you know, mm-hmm. you can be your whole self and you can bring, you know, different parts of you and different experiences with different people. Now, I appreciate that she was like... Now... 
uh, since we're talking about singles, I can't think of another artist that has two songs from one project or era, or however we want to put it, that really def- define them. Because you have Nasty, mm-hmm. where, you know, everybody go, it's Janet, Miss Jackson, if you're nasty. Yeah, seriously, but 35 then- years later, people are, <laughs> that still comes up in pop culture, social media, anybody's name who's Jackson is going to hear it. Yes. And then you have control where everybody always, especially rappers, female rappers, I'm in control like Janet. Damn it. Two songs. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I for one, mm-hmm. one album that goes with Janet. I mean, I can't think of another artist who has that com- that combination. So we talked about Pleasure Principle, the best song in the whole wide world. Um <laughs> <laughs> how time flies let's wait a while yeah. control when i think of you is the song that when they took the tracks you know and they played them for janet's brothers that's the song that they earmarked as mm-hmm. oh that's going to be the number one mm-hmm. i would have never guessed that in my whole life it's catchy it's- i, I could see why they felt like it was the Janet. yeah the only yeah. song on this project so I feel like all these songs, like people give You Can Be Mine a hard time. And I think it's You Can Be Mine and He Doesn't Even Know My Live are the only two songs where um, Jimmy and Terry, Janet, no, none of them did any writing. I'm sorry, that's not correct. The Pleasure Principle and He Doesn't Even Know I'm Alive are the two songs that um, Jimmy and Terry, Janet, they didn't do any writing on. Okay. Um, and to me, He Doesn't Know I'm Alive. I love that song. But to me, that song is the misfit on this project. I feel like it belongs on the album before. This could have been a Dream Street bop. It feels young compared to the mm-hmm. other songs. I call it a filler song. Maybe it was just a song that, hey, let's just put it out there for people who still want to hear something from the old Janet. Maybe. Yeah. But to me, it just feels like if it didn't fit what they crafted, that one was mm-hmm. kind of the eyeball. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I still like it. it. Like, I like it. It's a fine song. I can't say that. I'm just going to say, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now let's talk about Control's accolades. It's plenty of them. But first, let me just break it off with this. Youngest artist since Stevie Wonder to reach number one on the Billboard 200. <laughs> we talking about Janet. Janet and Michael become the first siblings to reach number one on the Billboard 200 and Billboard Hot 100. First female album to produce five top five Billboard Hot 100 singles. First female to produce six top 20 Billboard Hot 100 singles. First album to produce five number one Billboard R&B singles. Top female pop album of 1987. Top R&B female for two years in a row. She had 86 and 87 on lock and 14 million worldwide units sold. And we're yeah. talking about albums. <laughs> you know what? I think if we, re- we like I, I work there, if she <laughs> recertified, I think it's got to be close to 16, 17 million now. I mean, with the reissue of the control vinyl mm-hmm. and just with screaming, I feel like it's time to do it. Miss Jackson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jenny probably like man I'm cool I ain't got no more to prove to y'all <laughs> I feel like she doesn't care and I normally mm-hmm. wouldn't care but I do think it's important for a host of reasons number one because of the drastic attempts to erase her like some of these things can't be erased but I also think it is important because as time marches on and as we won't always be here to tell the story and so those types of records and those types of things exist um, and can tell the story in our absence, in her absence. I do think it's important for those reasons. But I mean, she has Janet Appreciation Day. <laughs> we don't do. Good. Fan made videos are so good. Uh, some, some people have put some content out there that I'm just like, dude, like, did you go to art school? Do you got like a master's in this? Yeah. It's like, woo, creativity. It's some serious talent. It's some serious talent. Yeah, and I appreciate that because these fans are just putting their heart into these 
uh, video productions, dance routines. You know, Amy is doing amazing things with her graphic designs. And it's just like, it's serious talent in the Jam Fam. And I think that that can't be understated as to how the Jam Fam works to keep Janet's name in the light. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, it's an honor to do that because she deserves it. Um, but I just think it can't be overlooked. Like a lot of, of the work, even younger fans, like a lot of the younger fans are doing a lot to introduce Janet to younger fans. Mm -hmm. and, and it's just happening organically. And so I think that that's really cool. Um, I want to talk about, so we talked about some of the accolades. I want to just make sure before we get out of here, we say a couple things. So we talked about all the um, songs she had on the chart. So we had Control at number five. When I Think of You went to number one. Nasty peaked at number three. What Have You Done For Me Lately peaked at number four. Let's Wait A While um, was number two, but on the Hot 100 and then peaked at number one on the R&B chart. So she was everywhere. She literally had one, two, three, four, five <laughs> um, <laughs> on the Hot 100. And she was up for like all times of awards. Like she set some records with her award nominations, particularly I think the American Music Awards mm -hmm. held the record for the most nominations from one album. She had 12 for Control and she ended up having four wins from that album, but 12 nominations. The Grammys, um, the Grammys is where a little bit gets stuck in my craw. A little bit. <laughs> because in general, Janet has been nominated 26 times and she's won five times only. And three of those were her videos. Just disrespectful to the album. Mm -hmm. The videos were great and should have won, but there should also have been some recognition for the great albums that she put out, especially when we're talking about we're reading all of the the barriers she broke and the record she set with these albums. And then the Grammys just paid her dust. In fact, the 1986 Grammys really kind of upset me because Jimmy and Jam and Terry Lewis won for producer of the year, which they absolutely deserve. They won producer right. of the year. Mm -hmm. But then album of the year went to Paul Simon, Graceland. This Paul Simon. How do you go tell Paul Simon no? <laughs> What's interesting is Paul Simon was also nominated in the producer <laughs> category and they were like, nah. We got to give them something, though. Yeah. <laughs> that's how it works. I'm for real. <laughs> I have a whole theory on it, but that's another show. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So Janet was nominated and, and it was a tough. 86 was tough for black oh, women. OK, so let me yeah. tell you who was in the category. So she was nominated uh, best R&B vocal performance in that category with Aretha Franklin for Jumper Jack Flash, Chaka Khan, mm -hmm. Destiny, Patti LaBelle, Winner You and Anita Baker's Rapture. Come on now. Everybody named Mama. I need to make a seat at home and I ain't never going to be mad. It should have been two that year because Janet deserves something for all of the records that she broke with this album that no one else broke with their albums in 1986. But I ain't never going to yep. be a baker. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I'm thinking, look at here and I'm saying best R&B and best rhythm and blues song. And she got beat out again by Anita Baker. Anita Baker. With sweet, sweet love, love. <laughs> I can't even look. Sweet love even, is listen, <laughs> listen. So yeah, that 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 category was tight. Prince and the Revolution with Kiss, Kiss. Remind me to tell you a funny story about the song Kiss. <laughs> oh, okay, no problem. <laughs> and then Billboard. So we should talk mm -hmm. about the Billboard Award. So like she was racking up. I like Billboard. Because Ooh. there is a method to the madness. Mm -hmm. It's not just like some folks get mailed a secret ballot and then they write down their friend's name and send it back. Mm -hmm. But there's a method to the madness. Like, how did your record perform on the radio? And even though that that can be twisted because, you know, you might only get to play black radio. Um, mm -hmm. But points are assigned for different things. And basically, they total your points. And that's how they decide who wins these awards. And so Janet Jackson ended up getting six awards in 1986 for um, the Billboard Awards. And actually, uh, there's an article in the Chicago Tribune. Uh, this article was written in like January 1987. And they were like, basically, the shock was that Janet Jackson did not win that year for best pop, for top pop artists. And that award went to Whitney Houston. And Whitney Houston also had six awards that year from Billboard. So they were tied at six. But just the way that the points are assigned based on how many albums you sold, radio stations you're on, yep. did your album stay for a long time or did you shoot to the top and fall all of these things matter and so just the way that the points fell out even though they were tied with six apiece Whitney was number one and Janet was number eight yeah 
But that's uh, the power of Clyde Davis. Listen, that was a big that Clyde was a big was machine. Working, okay. Yeah. yeah. I ain't gonna yeah. be mad. He convinced but, us to listen to Alicia Keys for at least four years. So <laughs> but yeah, but the little the little machine that could at A and M did they thing with Jenny. They did it. Okay. They <laughs> did it. It's it's hard to beat the big machine of Clyde. I yeah. Like I think we have to recognize too that it's been on the US R and B charts control album was there for ninety one weeks. Ninety one mm-hmm. consecutive weeks. This album is listed like in all of the rankings that you hear about. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the Rolling Stone best 100 albums of the 80s is ranked 28. Um, Vibe, 100 essential albums of the 20th century. 100 mm-hmm. women who rock the world. Vital pop, 50 essential pop albums, Slant Magazine. Um, rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the definitive 200, the top 200 albums of all time. Like this album is like the Michael Jordan of mm-hmm. albums mm-hmm. <laughs> look, at the I, time I every finger <laughs> yeah look at the time it was the michael jordan it was like okay this she, she can she take it to another level but little did we know in the future she was gonna be like she was gonna be that that michael jordan picture with all five rings yeah yeah, yeah. so she was this is just the first ring <laughs> One of my favorite quotes was when the album turned 30 and, you know, people are writing a lot of articles, which really says something. There was an article called, sorry, Miss Jackson, you're underrated control at 30. And the author, Wesley Morris, offers one of my favorite insights about the album and his critique. And he says, you know, listening to that album 30 years later, it still sounds today as much like 1986 as it does like 2056. And Mm. I just think that's that is the best quote because. You know, one of my favorite things about Janet Jackson is she is never of her time. You know, Mm -hmm. you might go back and listen to songs by Janet Jackson and think everybody was making music like that. Mm -hmm. No, everybody was making music like that later. Two years later, three years later. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Everybody wasn't making music like that. She was really never of her time until those lost years. Mm -hmm. The music that she was making with Jimmy and Terry was never of its time. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say this right here about Control that I think I really admire about this project before we wrap is that to me, it became a way for, especially for Black women to start taking control and become like our battle, battle cry. And I think it allowed more record labels to start listening to artists and of course start going to Jimmy and Terry of course I mean everybody wanted to talk to them and have them produce their artists so I just think that you know it's celebrating 35 years right now but when we look at 50 years of control we'll still be in awe at how powerful of an impact it was when it dropped absolutely Yes. And I think, too, one of the things we didn't really talk about what is, you know, Janet was talking about empowerment, um, mm-hmm. control and just taking mm-hmm. control of her life. But it and it wasn't just empowerment. It was, you know, women's empowerment, but it was specifically black women's empowerment. It was a very there was a very feminist bent. And I like that it was multicultural. Right. So like anybody, I think, could identify with mm-hmm. with this album. But I think mm-hmm. just by the fact that she is black and she did have to penetrate markets and kind of liberate herself from guardrails that other people put up for her. Right. Like even mm-hmm. to the point of like and I'm not just talking about like liberating herself from her family and really taking this attempt to like take this really first giant leap on her own. But I mean, like liberating her from the confines of what the music industry told black women they could be. Yeah. And Janet Jackson said, no, nah, I will not play the role that you have decided that I will play. I will write mm-hmm. my own role. And pop charts did not see her coming. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. They was not ready for. <laughs> and she went on to de- to de- dominate <laughs> for decades. For decades. For decades. You know, and you know, in closing, I don't really have a good closing, but I will say like just a testament to how powerfully dominant control and Janet Jackson were. You know, we were very excited late last year. The Goldbergs, the ABC sitcom, The Goldbergs, mm-hmm. did, uh, essentially a tribute to Janet Jackson um, when one of their characters was running for comptroller of their town. And uh, she did an entire routine to Janet Jackson's mm-hmm. control. 
mm-hmm. and changed it just ever so slightly to be control. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that is like still living in the lexicon. And I know that show mm-hmm. is from the 80s. And so it's, it's, mm-hmm. it grows back to that time. And that's one thing about that show is he always focuses on iconic things that happened in his childhood and Janet was one of them <laughs> yes 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 no, I love that I was like aren't we all waiting for the chance to just pay homage to Janet Jackson oh yeah I just gotta learn how to dance I don't got too old <laughs> <laughs> but let me jump on the chair and fall down <laughs> don't do that <laughs> I nah. cannot come to you I, I cannot I cannot heal you through zoom well, my mission is to get skinny so I can do the if routine <laughs> and then I can die happy. <laughs> that is so funny. But I feel like you don't need to be skinny to do if. Just go for it. Mm, not skinny, but in shape. Okay. Yeah, that, those are different. Those are different. <laughs> <laughs> that is it for us for now. If you need more Janet Jackson, which we know you need more Janet Jackson, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're already a subscriber, please tell a Janet Jackson fan about us and leave us a rating or review whenever you're listening. Your comments and ratings help other people find us, especially on iTunes. If you're not already, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Janet Jackson Pod. If you are following, thank you for every like and every single retweet, especially on episode releases. Those are simple things you can do and they go a long way to help us reach new Janet Jackson fans. Our intro and outro music, Good For You, is provided by THBD and is licensed under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. Thanks for listening to Janet Today, Janet Tomorrow, Janet Forever. What are we recording? Um, I just wanted to do a pickup because you know how yesterday I kept saying I wasn't going to go into no negative space. And then this morning in the shower, I was like, there's some things that must be said. So, oh, God. <laughs> Hi. Right. Look, before we record this, is this does this have to be said? These are things that must be said. <laughs> what you gonna say before before we re- what you gonna say so I can be prepared? Oh, I'm just gonna go off of where we talked about like, you know, the black charts and all of these different things. I just have some things to say about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, I'm going to let you get it off your chest. I know I don't know why. <laughs> it's, I'm going to try to keep it short, but you know, these things that must be said, especially because I just feel on, I think recently it's been bothering me more so because I'm seeing it more often. And that really is that there are a lot of Janet Jackson fans, some Black, but mostly non-Black, who seem to go to great lengths to... Uh, minimize or in some cases completely ignore the impact of Janet's blackness or Janet's womanhood on her career and to that I just I have to say like you should listen to Justin Timberlake because okay. you, are, are you recording? Wait let me make sure <laughs> Let's start recording because you finna go into I it I want I'm you. recording okay right, Let's go. Yeah you should you should listen to Justin Timberlake because you want black music you want black culture without the blackness like you might as well as listen to jay tim that's his specialty but for people and especially fans like it's really it's irritating when the general public does it but it's especially irritating when professed fans of janet jackson do it you know and to act like she didn't have to work harder to become a megastar than like let's just say that a white person was born in the exact same circumstances a white person was born to a jackson family who happened to also be white so you say maria let's say maria osborne Right. She's that's that's close. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Let's just say that you mean to tell me that you believe in your heart of hearts that Janet wouldn't have had to or just didn't work harder than Marie Osmond to attain the success that she has attained. Like there weren't obstacles that Janet faced that Marie Osmond wouldn't have faced. I'm like, that is it is just wow. And it's egregious. Like there was a black charts, guys, a black charts. Like Mm -hmm. her team had to have a strategy to get from the black charts to the pop charts to mainstream TV. And what white band do you know that had to have a strategy to get from the black charts to the pop charts to mainstream TV? So don't talk to me about how her erasure after the Super Bowl or her her snub by the Grammys and 
her being passed up for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame multiple times, despite being the first uh, black woman nominated for a Grammy in the rock category. Don't tell me none of those things have anything to do with her race. Like you are excusing all sorts of intersections of oppression to come to that conclusion. And for especially any non-Black person to say that her Blackness didn't impact her career or affect her career. To me, you're saying that for you, you're saying that for you, her Blackness didn't impact her career. But ask her and she would say differently. She has, she has said differently. And it's disrespectful for you to project onto her this kind of like magical being, magical Negro, unaffected by race, unaffected by sexism. Especially if you're a fan and you're listening to her music, if you're listening to Janet Jackson's music, I don't know how you could come to that conclusion. Okay. <laughs> See, now this is going to open up a whole nother discussion for me. You are correct. You can't whitewash it. And what I mean by whitewash it is it done, it's done to a lot of Black figures like Dr. Martin Luther King. They kind of just present him so that, okay, forget that he was Black. He was just a man mm-hmm. who wanted to bring He transcended together. race. Yes. He saw no color. Right. But honestly, every time they was beating his tail, it was because right. he was Black. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't because he had transcended race. <laughs> right. It was, they, were, they were sicking dogs on his friend because he was Black. And so you have to acknowledge that because Jesus had to beg for a year worth of promotion. Mm-hmm. So yes, don't wash Janet's blackness away. Exactly. When you talk about a person's career and impact on charts, awards, don't talk about one piece of it and just wipe everything else under the rug. Talk about the whole, put it all on the table. Yeah, she's a whole person. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, that's what frustrates me so much is like, you cannot strip away this portion of it that you choose not to see. That is disrespectful. And I, I'm using that word intentionally because you are sanitizing someone's image so it is more palatable to you. And that is disrespectful. You are erasing her experiences of navigating systems that were built for her not to succeed and just... Ex- pretending like her success is just an inevitability when obviously it was not her failure was the inevitability and the persistence the patience the wherewithal of her and her team to get beyond those obstacles is really what the testament should be like you should be singing that from the mountaintops and I don't want to say that I'm not trying to minimize other people's challenges everyone has challenges regardless Mm -hmm. of color or economic status or whatever um, mm-hmm. And I'm certainly not minimizing white people's struggles, although mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you straight up that most of white people's struggles are due to white supremacy. I don't have time mm-hmm. to go into that, but there are books available for you to expand your knowledge on that subject. Mm-hmm. But all people have obstacles and roadblocks in their paths to their dreams or just everyday life. But if your starting point in life is, is having to navigate some potholes, I get it. That's a challenge for you. Mm-hmm. But consider those whose starting point is they have to build the road. Mm -hmm. They don't even get to worry about the potholes until there's a path. Mm -hmm. And that's what they had to do. They having to create a path from the black charts to the mainstream charts is an example of having to build the road. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is if you're going to love Janet Jackson, if you're going to love Janet Jackson, you are loving a black woman. So you need to love her blackness. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you are treating her like a token, like she's some sort of mascot, like she's a prop, like she's something to be created in your own image. Mm-hmm. Now I want to expand on something else. <laughs> 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 See, this is not right. This is why we should have done this. Now I want to expand on something. Because, and I'm going to be real quick, but though, I think Jen also needs her props for something that a lot of people may not have looked at. Even though she dominated the quote unquote pop charts by first dominating the black charts, she also was able to maintain both for a great for decades. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people, and I can name a couple of artists who were number one on the R&B, number one on the R&B. But then once they got that pop success, it wasn't so sweet after that. And they couldn't dominate on pop or R&B anymore. And then we never heard from. Yeah. So also make sure we have to look at the fact that she was able to command both charts 
And if you want to put dance charts in there, you can. She was able to keep this legacy going. So I just want to put that, that tip the in obstacles, there. you know, like there was so and I'm just like, I, I, I get it. I, I, we want to celebrate people. And I know sometimes white people is hard to deal with race because you, you're just sick of hearing about it. And I just want to say, imagine how we feel. Oh, okay. yeah. Imagine how we feel. We don't just hear about it. OK, we have to navigate this daily. I, the stories that I could tell you about navigating blackness daily, the times that I have been concerned for my life simply because I showed up in the wrong place black. OK, mm-hmm. you worried about hearing about it. That is our experience. And that experience, though, those experiences, like the stories Janet tells about getting pulled over because they couldn't believe a black woman was driving such an expensive car or going into a shop and not being serviced until they recognize like, oh, this ain't a regular black lady. This is Janet Jackson. Mm-hmm. You know, those experiences, good, bad and different, colored the artists that we have today. And we don't get the knowledge. We don't get Rhythm Nation without those experiences of a black woman mm-hmm. and living her everyday experiences. So, whew. but thank you for letting me get that off my chest. I was stressed. You know, it's Black History Month and I, I don't want to be stressed like this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you, 